This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo and welcome to video number 78 and audio season 4 episode 15 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you for tuning in. As always, if you are just listening on any of the streaming services, I am distributed through anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. Great place to go to check out all the episodes and more information and also to donate any amount will help support this podcast, and thank you for that. If you are watching, then you might be on patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre, where everything I do is, both audio and video, things that other people don't get to see or hear, including all of the interviews and live performances that uh, no one else gets. So please consider joining me there. It's $10 a month minimum, and you get probably way more than you can handle. And or, as always, you can see almost everything I do at youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. It's the public hub of Music Is Not A Genre and uh, some of my live shows and things like that. It gives you a portal of my band Rex page and the C plus N page and a bunch of other things. Great place to subscribe because it's free like YouTube is uh, if that's how you do it. And uh, you can comment there. I love your comments, as you know, and I'd just love to have you there or any of these other places. So let's get to it. This week is a very, very, very special week. It's a special episode of Music Is Not A Genre because it is my first full episode dedicated to talking about a book. And I don't even know what I'm calling it. You had a book talk or something like that. It was a book talk number one, let's say. Uh, book talk, you know, uh, beta was when I talked about the DJ book uh, in relation to Fatboy Slim, uh, you know, chronography that I had there. And we discussed that. So that was my first, like, book discussion in conjunction with the CD. But this is the first full episode of just talking about a book. And the book that I'm talking about, the title of this episode is Why You Like It, The Science and Culture of Musical Taste. I Know Why I Like It. And that is the title of the book, Why You Like It, The Science and Culture of Musical Taste, written by Nolan Gasser. This, I think, is a very appropriate book 
for me to kick off this uh, new, you know, sub-series of Music Is Not a Genre because it's, it's a, a kindred spirit wrote it. I will just say that. And when I read it, I remember thinking, oh, I would love to talk about this. And at the time, of course, all I was doing was talking about things from my music collection. But as you know, this is season four and there are new things in season four, things that have been suggested by some of you. And I'd like to hear more from you. Tell me what other books or bands that you'd like to hear about. And so, first of all, the books right in front of me, those of you can't see or just listening, I am reaching for the book slowly and turning it to show people how thick it is. It's very thick. Uh, the primary text part of it is well over 600 pages, and I think the total with all of the notes and all that is well over 700 pages. And the thing about this book, I had heard about it before I got it, and I think it's about two years old now, and I was a little gun-shy before I bought it because I knew that it was jam-packed with stuff, and for another reason, which I'll get into later. But then I thought, well, geez, you know, this is somebody writing about music and connecting it to science and culture and, and person, you know, personal taste and preference and all of that and more, it turns out. And why wouldn't I read a book like this? Because the whole idea of this podcast is all about music, conversation and connection, as I say all the time. So it seemed like the perfect book. And I read it last year, I guess, in the beginning of this year. It, it took a while, I will admit. I like to take my time with certain kinds of books, especially nonfiction, and uh, that's why I'm here right now talking about it, because I was extremely impressed. Um, that was the sound of a poster falling. And so, if you heard it, one thing, I guess where I'll start with this, is that I love that there is someone in the world who thought it was worth it to consider and research and write and publish a book all just about the listening of music. Just the listening, just the, the fans listening to music, what it means, how they listen, why they listen the way they do. It's not about, look, I love all music books, and I'm going to name check a couple of them, or at least talk about them, or reference them, and probably re, you know, uh, discuss them in future episodes. I try not to use the word review, because I don't want to be seen as a critic uh, of any sort. Uh, reviews are fine, but that's just not the, I, I don't consider what I'm doing here a review. It, it is more of a discussion or a book talk. And uh, where was I? Yeah, so most of those other books deal with one specific topic, and this, this is so broad. It's just, it's, it's incredibly broad, it's comprehensive, it's thorough, and it's deep. And, uh, you know, it goes in depth into what it talks about. And the fact that so much effort was put into this is just an act of love to me. It's an act of love for music and love for music fans and other people who love music and the, and the desire to want to connect with them. So right off the bat, you've got me, you know. But then I started reading the book, and it's a tome. You know, in the text I put down there, I said, you know, buckle up or sit down or whatever I said. It's going to be a long one. Not because this episode is going to be any longer than an average episode, but because the book itself is not a short read, and it's not necessarily an easy read. 
and I'll, you know, and I'll explain this, you know, to you in a second. But along with that, uh, you know, idea of loving this book, the, the two biggest impressions that I got uh, of the author, Nolan Gasser, who is the chief architect. He was the chief architect of Pandora's Music Genome Project. And I'll talk about that later, too. I'm checking about it, a lot of stuff I'm talking about later. For him, is that, one, he knows his stuff. He, he really knows his stuff. And why wouldn't he? He's a composer himself. And obviously also a scientist in, his, in, in you know, the way that he approached not just the book, but the creation of this music genome project. And secondly, he loves music. He loves music, and you know I appreciate anyone who doesn't pigeonhole themselves into one style. Oh, I only listen to jazz or classical, or uh, I only listen to country music, or I only listen to these certain artists. We all have our favorites, hard artists, right? Know your terms, know your Menag terms. I put that graphic on social. Uh, you should know those terms. And that's fine. Favorites are fine and preferences are fine. But I think it's important for all of us to be open to wanting to hear more and learn more and understand more and connect with more. And he, Nolan Gasser, is someone who has, uh, is so, so much that kind of a person. You know, and to, to contrast that, I read a book this year called The Show That Never Ends. And it's about progressive rock. I'm probably going to talk about it in a future episode. And, you know, this is not about that book, so I won't go into it, but I will say that even though I love the book, and it is probably the most thorough account of progressive rock that is out there, maybe, so far as I know, I felt also that it was very insular in that it knew its subject very well, uh, but only really made kind of uh, tangential attempts to connect it to anything else. And, uh, for example, it's Progressive Rock's influence on other bands who were maybe not strictly progressive, but did a lot of progressive material. And those bands, uh, in many cases, were you know mentioned in passing or not mentioned at all. Whereas this book here, Why You Like It, The Science and Culture of Musical Taste, goes great lengths to mention everything. Everything possible to fit into one book. And I don't mean every artist or, you know, or all of that, but there's an entire discussion on pretty much every aspect of music you can think of. And that's where I'll start, which is the book begins with, it has an intro, it talks about what the book is about and how it's structured and all of that, and that's fine. And the history of um, Nolan Gasser and the history of the Music Genome Project, which... I may be wrong about this, but I think it was the first of its kind uh, algorithm for music. And if you know anything about Pandora, it started quite a while ago now. And the whole idea of it was it would learn about you, would learn about the kind of music you like so that you could create you know, radio stations, quote unquote, based on your taste and based on certain types of music. And it has been refined since then, of course, and, you know, thousands of hours of, uh, you know, human power went into creating this and research and listening over and over to all kinds of music. I won't go into the full description. It's in the book or you can look it up online. But so much effort went into creating this mu the Music Genome Project that is the engine that drives 
Pandora. And subsequently, whether it was through influence or osmosis or actual, uh, you know, using of the code, other services did the same thing. So now when you listen to any streaming service, including YouTube, if you have an account there of any kind, it starts to learn what you like and it'll suggest things. And it might suggest things to listen to or it might actually just play those things as part of a playlist if you ask it to randomize it and stuff like that. And again, all of that's gotten a ton better. It's not going to replace a real DJ in my book or even you. It's not going to replace you in, the, in that you know, we make choices that are often more arbitrary or more inspired than an algorithm could make. It's amazing what it can do, and I have seen it improve to where I'll listen to, uh, you know, uh, let's say, a shuffle of a playlist of mine, and when it, it'll play one song, play the next song, there's something in common with those two that I, you might not readily pick up on, but the algorithm did, and I, so I know that it has improved. But having a DJ background and, and you know, loving to put songs together for various you know, functions and things like that, and for people, mixtapes and stuff, uh, you know, it's, it, I remember not enjoying Pandora in the long run at the time because I thought that it automated too much. And I was really actually pretty uh, taken by it for a while and learned a lot about music early on. And I'm talking about 15 years ago or more. But then, you know, I had to kind of step away from it for a lot of reasons. And now I know it's changed very much. But point being, the guy who, who you know, helmed that Music Genome Project also wrote this book. And, it, and a description of that's in the book. And then the whole first section after all that intro and history is about music theory. And when I say section, I mean chapter after chapter after chapter. It goes into every aspect of music theory, you know, um, the harmony and rhythm and all of that, all the various elements of music in depth and has examples from history, more recent examples. Really, if you have any desire to want to learn music theory without wanting to learn how to play, but just to understand music, whether it's notation or any of the elements of music, this is, this is a good book to start with. And the author says at the beginning, you can skip all that. If all you're interested in is the, you know, learning what genotype you are, which is what he talks about, how he describes uh, what kind of music you like, and he has these broad categories, and uh, just kind of get into that, because that's really what is attractive about this book, the why you like it part. Then you can skip the theory part. I would recommend reading it or at least skimming all the theory sections because it gives you a kind of a better understanding of what he's talking about when he explains why someone likes a certain type of music or how one music connects to another type, that that would mean that that person of that type would also like that second kind of music. And again, it's kind of a short way to learn a lot about music theory. I knew most of it already. I, I certainly forgot uh, quite a bit of it. But having you know gotten a music degree at Rutgers, uh, I had to learn all of this anyway. It was an incredible refresher, an incredible refresher that at times was slow. But I powered through it, and I'm glad I did. Uh, you can certainly read it secondarily if you prefer or not at all. But I, again, would recommend just reading the book from cover to cover. 
Then after, oh, uh, before I get to the next section, he also has what he calls interludes. And they are very, very short chapters that connect music to science, math, culture, psychology in various ways. So how, you know, how the ears work or how we process music, things like that, what it does to our psychology, uh, the mathematics of music, if you know anything about Bach and, and music in general, not just not just you know rhythm and tempo but even uh, the way uh, notes relate to each other you know that there's a lot of math behind it uh, how music relates to culture how it connects with with various things in society and how that society may have influenced you know the way music develops uh, that those are the short interludes in between all the chapters the whole second part of the book which is the bulk of the book has to do with these music genotypes and these genotypes are umbrella terms for this imaginary fan's primary taste. And the terms he uses are musical, which means uh, musical theater, pop, rock, jazz, hip-hop, electronica, world, and classical. And he has them in kind of, he kind of groups them in pairs. So musical theater and pop, rock and jazz, hip-hop and electronica, world and classical in that way. And I kind of thought that was kind of cool that he did it in pairs that way because you can see it, it kind of compels you to find the connections between the two. So why would somebody who likes musical theater maybe be connected to the person who likes pop? Well, musical theater in very large part is based on popular music and has become popular music and has influenced popular music. And pop music has influenced musical theater in a lot of ways. Uh, why would someone who's interested in rock also be interested in jazz? Because those people tend to like things that uh, have that have uh, intricate rhythms or powerful rhythms that that are maybe a little more complex but still straightforward in some ways. They like to catalog things. They like to know a lot about the music that they like, which can be said for other kinds of, you know, musical theater and, and uh, you know, classical and all of that. But there's something very obsessive about a true rock fan and a true jazz fan and the way they, you know, have their collections of vinyl and all the various other things and, and categorize and all that. Why would hip hop be connected to electronica? Well, they grew up together in a lot of ways. And even though they are not uh, the same, they've influenced each other and very close cousins, I guess you could say. And why would world be, you know, connected to classical? Uh, it's a little harder, but I think that, you know, classical has older roots. World music has older roots in many, you know, in, in many cases. Now you know, and you know well, because it's the title of this entire, you know, podcast. Music is not a genre, and. It cannot be defined within any one genre. So the fact that all of these uh, umbrella terms are genres, you might say, well, that's troubling. And, and before I read the book, I thought, oh, boy. But once I got a sense of this, this guy, which right off the bat, you get this sense, I had a feeling he was going to explain his categorizations. And he did. And he did it well because he mentioned kind of what I mentioned, which is that genres are shorthand and they don't define a type of music. They give you kind of a, you know, an entry into that type of music. And within that type, there's so many variations that often cross over into other genres. And he talked about subgenres and sub-subgenres. And it was kind of cool how far he went explaining that so that 
you know that he knows that you know that that music can't be confined in that way and that this is just a you have to find a way to categorize it just in the same way that you would do this with uh you know uh, evolution and one species being very close to another species and 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 stuff like that there there often it's often hard to distinguish when you're studying the evol- process of evolution where that happened and when you know one species became another and all of that and i think the same can be said for uh, genre and music, and and it really highlights the deficiencies of the genre labeling that we always talk about. And so, you know, that that bulk of that book, what was cool about it is that he would list uh, some songs in the category, and this imaginary person liked, and explain why they liked it. What might motivate that person on? a level of uh, like nature, nurture, their upbringing, what was innate in them, the certain, the certain personality, certain things that people look for. Like I said, certain people look for more complexity, certain people look for soaring melodies or, you know, uh, layered harmonies and things like that, or things that are not necessarily some people deliberately uh, seek out things that are not of the mainstream. People only listen to things that are of the mainstream. And, Although we all have our, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, exceptions to the rules that we create for ourselves, and there, you know, might listen to some song that's not in that wheelhouse. Most people generally do only listen to a couple kinds of music for their throughout their lives, and you know, find comfort in that. And you you know how I feel about that. I think it's fine. You know, I think that if that's what people need from their music, that's great. Uh, but I'm always cautioning people: please try to at least understand other kinds of music, even if it's not your thing. I just had a talk with a guy that I interviewed, and the interview's coming out in a couple of days, uh, a few days after this. And he was talking about how progressive rock was not his thing. And this is a producer and an engineer and musician guy who does a lot of stuff, uh, you know, all kinds of music. But he prefers tightly written songs, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas other people, you know, read that other book that I will profile at some point about progressive rock and how much they like classical mixed with jazz, mixed with rock, mixed with blues, mixed with some world elements. And again, shorthand, all these terms and then turned into something complex with movements and suites and, and, and different sections of each song that may or may not seem like they're related and the album might be a full, you know, all of that stuff. These are the, these are the genotypes of these people. And as I read it, I had the response I thought I would have, which is, I don't align perfectly with any of these types. I have, I can tell you the types that I, that I am not uh, I, I don't think that I would be strongly, you know, musical theater, uh, hip hop world, classical, uh, me, you know, and then the others are kind of gray areas. I like music of all of those categories. Uh, I grew up in musical theater. I did a lot of it. I like, uh, love hip hop. I grew up with hip hop. I've done hip hop. I, I revere it. Uh, world, 
I don't know as much about, but I've always been interested in it. And I've looked especially at, you know, South African music, I think mostly. And classical, I studied and I used to play it, not well, but I played it. And there, I have my favorite classical composers. But again, as far as a genotype, as far as, oh, you hear this and it's in your wheelhouse and you seek it out and there's a reason why, well, those are not me. Pop, I think, is, strong, is more strongly me because you know I like pop music and pop songs, songs that are written as pop songs, even if they don't sound like pop songs. So there's, a, you know, again, kind of a crossover element there. But that idea of a song that is intending to try to uh, make that strong of a connection with the audience in a very kind of bold and, and uh, direct way. Rock is, yeah, you know, rock is probably where I live the most. So if I had to pick one, that'd probably be the closest. But the way he described it, he deliberately made it very restrictive. And I, again, aligned with a little bit of it, but not completely. Uh, jazz I also studied and played and, and loved to death. And I have my favorite kinds of jazz and my least favorite kinds of jazz. But because, uh, you know, and I, I think that that does cross over to some degree. I wouldn't say that is my primary. That's probably fourth or fifth down the line. Uh, somewhere, yeah, it's probably fifth down the line. I would say it would be rock, pop. Electronica, which you know I do a ton of, and even though some of it I've had discussions about this is not you know my jam, uh, I love electronic music to death. And then the fourth would be hip hop, fifth would be jazz. Uh, I would say then it's a toss up between musical theater and classical for six and seven, and, and then the last is world. Again, love stuff from all these, but that's kind of where I fall. And what's fun about that is you get to decide that for yourself. You read this and you say, ooh, yeah, I, I, I think that I mostly like this kind of music. My hope is that when you read it, you say that about more than one category, where you're like, ooh, shoot, I thought it was pop, but maybe I'm electronica or whatever. Or I thought it was rock, but maybe I'm jazz. I think that would be a great outcome. Uh, but even if it's just you saying, oh, this, oh, I found me, I found, and now he'll describe why you like it to an extent. And I'll get to that in a second. There was a note in the book that said at the website, which I put a link there for, uh, he had a test. So you could test yourself and find out what genotype you are. I've been to that site many times, and that test does not exist, that page says it's coming and it is not coming. I don't think it's coming. I hope it comes. I don't know if the book didn't do well or what have you, or if uh, Nolan had other more, you know, more important things to do or, you know, lost funding or something personal. But I have no idea. I'd love to know the answer because I love tests and I would love to take that test and I'd love to discuss it with other people. And I think it would be kind of a cool, fun thing, but also a valuable thing to learn something not just about yourself, but about music in general and how you connect with it. So my hope is that that happens. Um, but the interesting thing about this book, and I think that this is, I'll, I'll liken it to a movie that is going to reveal to you the existence of God or the meaning of life or a book that tries to do this or fiction or nonfiction or any type of art that says we're going to reveal this to you. It's often a bit of a MacGuffin or whatever the right term is in that what human 
really does know that answer. You know, no, nobody really knows those big answers. We know, hope, we, we think we know pieces of those answers, and in some categories we do know pieces, but no one knows the whole story, no one knows the full answer, even if they say, well, this is what this movie's going to be about, and the big reveal at the end often falls flat, but if the movie or book is done well, you are so compelled by the journey that you feel it anyway, and you appreciate the trip you took with that work of art. And it gives you the frame of mind, the presence of mind, and the tools to contemplate for yourself what you think the answer might be. And I kind of think that's how this book is, in that it tells you more than you could possibly imagine that it tells you, and is worth the read cover to cover. But in the end, it it tells you as much about why we like music as psychology itself tells you about yourself, which is to say that it's a mirror. It reflects, it, it comes with a certain body of knowledge that is, you know, battle-worn, time-tested, and I would say true, but in the end, it's interpreted different, differently by everybody else, and unlike the physical world where gravity works the same on everything, etc., at least on this planet, uh, you know, psychology is not like that. It's just like with um, medications. You know, one, it might, they might affect one person one way, another person another way because of their chemical makeup. Same is true psych psychologically. Two siblings can be brought up in the same household and be affected very differently by their upbringing. And so when you interpret that, the book, in that light, what you're getting is, again, they have a reflection in a mirror and tools to figure out for yourself where you fall, which I think is the fun part. And, and you know, it's not going to say, well, here are the facts about you or a person like you, and this means that you are 100% this genotype. Just like with other personality tests you take, you might lean strongly in one direction, but be partly another or two others or three others or, or you know, and I think this book is very much the same way. But again, the, the amount of tools it gives you to find that answer for yourself, far and away, just blows away anything else that exists out there. And please, Nolan, Mr. Gasser, put that test up, create that test. Uh, I haven't studied this author very much, but based on what he wrote in here about himself and some things I've seen online, I would say that we have some crossover tastes, but not a ton. And that's totally fine. That could be actually super interesting as a discussion, a personal discussion. But as a thank you and as a tribute to this book, because I am now adding the song of mine at the end of each uh, main podcast, I'm going to include a newly minted video of the song Polymath because I think that that would describe <laughs> the, the, you know, someone like Nolan Gasser who would write a book like this and just the idea of putting so much together. So I hope you enjoy that video. It's weird. I like it weird. It's kind of intense. I like it intense. If you understand what the word polymath means, you kind of get the idea. Uh, there's a personal element to the lyrics, especially in the kind of part that's wrapped. But overall, it has to do with what do you do with a very complex and busy mind and how does that 
you know, help or hinder your relation to other people, I guess is a way to say it. So would you read a book like this? Is this like way too much for you? Or are you so into it? Do you like long books? Do you like nonfiction books? Do you like music books in general? Do you, do you like books that go this in depth and cover that much territory? Do you think you fall into one of those genotypes or a mix of them? I would love to know that and why you think that, especially whether you've read this book or not, but especially if you read this book. Uh, are you a fan of predictive algorithms? They are everywhere. They, you know, you see an ad, oh, I just searched for, you know, a toaster and I am seeing toaster ads. But, you know, that can be annoying. You can turn it on or off. But as far as music goes or even when you're watching videos and it says, you might like this. Are you a fan of that? Do you like that? Do you think it's a little kind of uh, controlling and creepy and, and ultimately inadequate? Or you think it's just kind of another tool and it's kind of cool? I'd love to know uh, uh, your opinion about all of this, especially if you've read the book whether you've read it before or after this podcast, and anything else that has struck you about anything that I've discussed today, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Stay tuned for Polymath. Thank you for listening and watching and clicking and subscribing and sharing and donating. And I will talk to you, not next week, because uh, there's a special event happening, but very, very soon. You're the only one who knows You stuck to the things that drag you down Good luck ever having someone around You blinked and your eyes got stuck closed You think you're the only one who knows You stuck to the things that drag you down Good luck ever having someone around
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.